Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. Please take a minute and subscribe so you're always up to date. You can also listen at thejazzsession.com. In addition to episodes of the show, thejazzsession.com features written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of jazz links. This week's guest is singer Kate McGarry. Her new album on Palmetto Records is called The Target. Here's the title track. And the impressive thing is the entire album is that good. That's Kate McGarry and the end of the title track from her new Palmetto release called The Target. And it's my pleasure to welcome Kate to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Jason. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's really good to have you here. Um, I uh, interviewed you once before when uh, your first Palmetto record, Show Me, came out. And it just seems like uh, you've been involved in an amazing number of cool projects since the last time I spoke with you, uh, with all kinds of great people from Maria Schneider to Fred Hirsch, and then releasing your own records. This seems like a good time for you. Does it feel that way to you? Man, yeah, it feels like a really, a really fun, uh, expansive time. Yeah, yeah, it really does. I uh, I saw you in a an interesting uh, YouTube video that uh, is now on your site as well, which involved a, a kind of impromptu performance that uh, I thought might be a fun story to tell leading off. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, this was back in, I guess, in 2000. Um, my friend uh, Tessa Suter, she's a wonderful singer, called me up at like 9.30 and said, Kate, get your butt down to Blue Note. We have free tickets to see Chick Corea and Bobby McFerrin. Um, and it's at 10. So I just, like, hopped on the subway and raced down there. And uh, we got to go in first, and they let us pick, you know, of all all the seats in the in the house, and we sat right up front. And, uh, and then they were just, you know, doing this beautiful show, and he started to play the tune Smile. And I noticed that Bobby had the words there and the, on a piece of paper, but he wasn't singing the words. He was just kind of, uh, he was just doing his Bobby thing. And and all of a sudden he like looked up and he just said, "Anybody know this song?" But he looked, I swear, he looked straight at me, you know. And and I had never actually sung the song before, but independent of me, my hand just like shot straight up, and there was like inside this big yes, you know, just like yes. And he just came and handed me the microphone, and I took the words from him, and I just sang the song, and it was such a fun experience, just like. 
you know, I mean, it was kind of, it was like in a, too high of a key for me and everything, but it didn't matter. It was just, it was just like so full of joy. And that kind of started, um, like, just started something new for me because it, there was just that, that really strong feeling of just yes. You know, when you, you, you give up control of what's going to happen at that moment, you just say yes, you know, and then it's all in, in somebody else's hands in some way. Um, was such a strong experience, so I, I just started feeling like, okay, let me just keep trying that more. <laughs> let me try just saying yes. So when people would call me and ask me to do something, I would just be like, yes, no matter what it was. <laughs> Is some of that the kind of present moment thinking, does it come out of your meditation practice and your experience there? Well, um, yeah, I guess so. You know, I, I, I think a lot of times things can be um, with meditation with you know spirituality it's really easy for it to get sort of intellectual and to be like sort of like i don't know uh not necessarily like it doesn't guarantee that in the moment you know you're going to really be there just because like you're you know talking that way and and thinking that way it doesn't mean you know that it's necessarily going to happen so it is really cool when it really translates into just the every day, you know, um, and and it, it feels like it's taken a long time for that to happen because um, I was meditating and doing that kind of stuff for really like 23 years or something, and uh, and it really does feel like it's it's uh, it's starting to be just more normal part of, um, and I guess I, it, it changes how I think of like meditation now. I just think of it more as just sitting down and, and watching, you know, what's going on and not trying to control it. And yeah, <laughs> does that make sense? It does. I, I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about what the session was like that produced the target? What kind of an experience was that uh, in terms of being able to, to kind of let go and, and just let things happen? You know, I had never um, played with Ruben and Greg, uh, Ruben Rogers and Greg Hutchinson before. And uh, and the whole band had never even played together before, and we got together um, the day before the recording and just had a, a you know a couple hour rehearsal and just ran through the tunes, um, and it was just so evident that I had the right people, you know, and when we went to the studio the next day, everything just felt exactly like like we all had the same priority, you know, which was just to to leave space and to and to kind of listen to each other and just do what was most you know felt most musical and most joyful but not you know but nobody was like putting in too much so it was it was just it was so cool it felt like my intention which for a lot of my music the the thing that feels most important about it is is sort of the amount of space or the feeling of of um just an organic, you know, vibe or a feeling that, that, you know, that it's it's being created right in the moment, but that nobody's pushing anything. Um, and that really was exactly how this how this felt, felt to me. Even though we had never, we didn't all know each other and we hadn't played, you know, but, but just once the day before. <laughs> how did Ruben and Greg end up on this record? Um, I had played with Greg maybe like six months earlier at a um and Aaron Goldberg um and I think it was Omar Omar Avital at some function. Um I had happened to, to Aaron had called me for a gig and so and when I, you know, walked in there was Greg, 
Hutchinson, who is just, I mean, he's played with all of my idols, you know, and, um, well, not all of them, but Betty Carter being first, <laughs> first and foremost, um, he was her drummer for, you know, on a number of her recordings, and, and we just, you know, hit it off musically so, so strongly, and I just, I asked him then, I said, you know, if I was doing a project, would you be interested in playing on it? He was like, yeah, so, um, and, and he and Ruben have such a tight thing, and he said, let's, you know, let's call Ruben, because that'll be so great, and, um, and so, you know, we did it like that, and that was, it it worked out just so perfectly. Yeah, I really like the uh, the arranging on this record. I think if you played this this record to people who weren't familiar with the Great American Songbook, from which some of the songs, but not all, some of the songs on the record are drawn, it would probably be hard for them to distinguish which tunes are, are <laughs> chestnuts and which tunes are tunes that you wrote because they the arranging is really it's so of a piece and it's all it, it just all sounds very I guess organic to use your word. Can you talk a little bit about arranging these these tunes yeah thanks jason um well there's a couple of the tunes are arranged by my husband keith uh gans the lamp is low and sister moon are both his arrangements um which i i love both of those both of those tunes um when i go to arrange something it's something it usually takes quite a while and um it's something that like this the tune starts off as a as a great american songbook standard in my head and i just keep playing it and playing it and kind of messing with the changes and the rhythm and the vibe and going deeper into it and and eventually like it sort of starts leaning <laughs> a certain way and and wants to you know it seems like it just wants to um sound a certain way and and it it's really like that thing where you know just something little by little starts getting revealed you know and and I try and just listen really hard to what I'm hearing and feeling inside and and um find a way to notate it and it's and it mainly be it ends up being about what doesn't get played, you know, about places for people to leave space, you know, and ways to do that. Well, let's hear uh, the tune that leads off the record, and this is one of the ones that you arranged, which is a, a classic, but given new life, it's called the Meaning of the Blues. <laughs> It's a really gorgeous arrangement, and you can get you can get a little ways into it, particularly in the beginning there, before all of a sudden it all 
it all falls in and you realize that you've heard this tune before. But it really, uh, I just love the way it's, it's reharmonized underneath and uh, it just, mm-hmm. it all works so well. It's a great, great, great job. Thanks, Jason. That, that tune in particular was one of the first, um, I don't know, I'd say one of the first jazz tunes that like I really got into deeply listening to uh, Carmen McRae from this record, Bittersweet. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you know that record? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I just, I just loved um, her kind of just the, the, the darkness that she, you know, and so much space. Hers is so slow, and um, there's just, it's just bass and voice for a while, and um, just really takes her time with it. And, and, and so I've always had that song in my mind, and uh, uh, eventually it came out in this form. <laughs> And uh, folks obviously heard an organ there, which was uh, Gary Versace on the organ, and then your husband, uh, Keith, on guitar. It's interesting to me that you have a band that has a guitar player, an organ player, um, and you know an upright bass when what you're trying to achieve is space, particularly with an organ and guitar together, and somehow you manage it. How did they manage to, to work around each other in that oh, way? Oh, man, that, that's, the, that's the best thing. I mean, Gary and uh, both Gary and Keith, they're just a perfect match for each other because both of them are, are just all about space and all about, like, you know, listening and playing together. And they're all about the unit, you know, and that, that it's only as good as, as it feels to the whole unit. Um, and so everything that they both did, it was just automatically, like, you know, with with just about anybody else, it would just be kind of a nightmare. <laughs> like, the, the guitar and, and uh, organ would be kind of clashing a lot, but... I think uh, it's just sort of Gary's nature to just really listen and see what his role is in this particular thing. I mean, there's a lot of different groups where he's he needs to just take over and be the be the 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 entire um, the entire show, but uh, or or you know, big part of it harmonically. But with this, it was uh, he was so open and. And Keith as well. They just were always aware of each other, but not in a stifled way, just in an interested way. Like, oh, what's what's he going to say about this? And then the other one would say something and be like, well, what's he going to play here? You know, um, they were always just interacting and and listening. I mentioned uh, at the top some of the great projects you've been involved in uh, last year. A project that I was involved in kind of dovetailed with something you were doing, which was uh, a friend and I put on a. a hour or afternoon long community reading of uh, song of myself by Walt Whitman. And afterward we had this big community dinner where everybody came. And uh, during the dinner, we were playing the leaves of grass album that Fred Hirsch recorded that features uh, you on it. And uh, I wanted to ask you just how you got involved in that project and what the, what the experience was like. Oh, thanks for asking about that. Um, Fred has always been since I first met him, um, I guess in, in, 2001, um, uh, I was introduced to him by someone who was really helpful um, and wonderful person in, in my life. I was lucky to know her. Her name was Jill Azalina, and uh, she's passed away since since this time. But um, uh, at the time, um, she introduced me to Fred, and she was really committed to sharing my music with people, and um, and so she was a good friend of Fred's, uh, and. So she kind of got us together, and and he liked uh, liked my music a lot, and you know we started kind of slowly finding ways to uh, to get together and play. And um, when this 
when this project came came up for him, um, he, the thing about Fred that I just adore is that he's he's got such a great ear for for groups. You know, if you look back in his history at all, he always has this knack for putting the right people together in the right situation and making something totally new happen each time. Um, and and for this project, you know, he gave me a you know the chance of a lifetime. I mean. I had heard him do this this music with Norma Winston, who's a, a singer from uh, England that I just adore and, and uh, admire so much. Um, and I heard them do it, and I I had this this prayer inside, you know, like someday can I sing this music? You know, when I heard it live, and I just, you know, and then when he asked me, it was just like, wow, that that works. <laughs> just doing that, you know, like saying sending up like what you really truly desire you know and and i feel like somehow he you know he knew that this was would be an experience that would open me up and and help me grow um and and that he was willing to even though i didn't you know i didn't have that much experience and especially on bigger stages like carnegie hall and places like that you know and being with somebody like kurt kurt elling who was just Again, uh, uh, someone who I've ad- admired and, and learned from for many years, um, being able to be on the stage with him and 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 uh, to just witness. I mean, he had the the he and Fred, of course, had the biggest um, parts of that of that show. And l- luckily, I didn't have that much to do. I had f- about five uh, songs, um, and it was just right for me. Uh, but getting to see how how Kurt. Uh, negotiated, you know, those words and and um, that role. Um, it was it was just a great great learning experience and and a great uh, uh, learning experience for me of of being able to I don't know get larger I guess how to say it like being on a on a big stage and just seeing like oh you ha- you really need to change something about how you how you use your energy how you send it out to people and just somehow let it let it spread further or get bigger like let yourself be larger in some way and um so i don't know it was a, it was a fascinating experiment and and experience and i and it was you know very uh it it was everything for me i was terrified i was happy i was you know and and i grew a lot from it and uh of course, like by the end of the tour, I wished we could have recorded the whole thing over again because um, I felt like I had grown a lot um, since the time that we had recorded it. But um, I still, I, I love that recording a lot. I'm very um, honored to be on it. Before we go back to uh, talk about The Target, your new album, I want to ask you about another experience you had that my guess is was maybe a different kind of challenge, but it, it sure looked challenging also, which was a recording with Maria Schneider on the concert in the garden uh, live concert that was at the Manchester Craftsman's Guild. Can you talk about how you became involved yeah. with that and what that was like? Yeah, I mean, I again, Maria is somebody who the first time I heard her music, um, I was in my apartment in, in in Brooklyn, and I just put it, I put that music on, and I, you know, burst into tears and was dancing around the apartment because it was such an experience of you know freedom and 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 beauty and and joy and everything and. And I again, I thought like oh, I would just love to sing with her someday. You know, she's just she's doing exactly what I what I feel vocally. She's doing it with instruments, and um, 
and I did have that opportunity. Um, she asked me uh, to to do something um, to do this, the learn this new music um, for the, a live performance and DVD she was doing at um, Manchester Craftsman's Guild, and and once again the the music was incredibly challenging. It was very different from from anything I had done, and um, and it took quite a bit of of uh, work and 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 study to kind of to get those lines and the her way of of writing into my into my voice and um and uh and to be part of, instead of because I was used to as a singer being sort of like out front and trying to make a statement you know with with my voice and this the role was so different really you weren't really supposed to stand out at all it was really to be just to be a part of the unit you know just to 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 play your part and and to just kind of stay within the unit you know what i mean and that was very very different for me and um and i, I was yeah i was glad to to uh to have that that chance to have that experience did your Hollywood work play any part in how you're approaching this music now? I, I'm not really, although I know you did it, I'm, I haven't heard any of the, the kind of film stuff that you did, so <laughs> I'm not really sure how it uh, yeah. how it relates to some of what you were just describing, but it strikes me as that soundtracks are often also a similar thing, where you're kind of an organic part of a whole as opposed to a solo instrument, but I don't know if that's true for what you did. Well, no, for what I did, it was more like um, short pieces um, that were, ended up, you know, being part of a larger soundtrack and where, where someone was looking for something specific, like actually something that sounded like Cole Porter, but they didn't have the $40,000 to pay for the, you know, the usage. <laughs> so they said, can you write something that sounds like this? And, and, and lo and behold, I did, you know, uh, I, again, it was, you know, just saying, <laughs> saying yes, and then figuring it out later. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know, you know, it, it, I think that the doing stuff on on film for films, um, it was to me that's that's a part of like just the craft of being a singer. And I I always had this great feeling after I was done doing it, any um, singing for soundtracks or for films because it was like just going home like from a good day's work at the office and feeling like this isn't the stuff that I would sing myself on my own gigs, but um, just feeling like you were able to, you know, perform this service and, and be part of, of something um, and make your voice sound a, a way that, that fulfilled somebody else's vision. Um, I, I always enjoy that and uh, continue to. Anytime you get asked to do that, it's, it's a, that's a nice experience. Um, and it, it, I always grow from it. There's hardly any time, even if it's something that I don't personally, you know, uh, relate to, um, where I where I haven't benefited from it. Let's hear another uh, sample from The Target. This is a, a, a classic tune written by a couple of the greatest songwriters going. This is called Nobody Else But Me. I want to be no one but me I'm in love with a lover who likes me the way I am I have my faults he likes my faults I may not be bright He may not be bright But he thinks I'm grand And that's grand for me I may be wrong if we get along What do we care, say we 
walking on the shore, swimming the sea. When I'm with him, I'm glad the girl who's with him is nobody else but me. me. I want, 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 want to be no one but me. I'm in love. I'm in love. Oh, oh, oh. This is one of those tracks, too, that makes this album special for me because although it's, you know, kind of a nice bouncy swing tune, it still sounds like the rest of the record. And uh, it just, man, that seems like a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is funny how, like, such apparently uh, uh, disparate uh, kinds of, of songs, They, I do feel like they all ended up fit, fitting together so well and, uh, and balancing each other because, yeah, that was a... A swing, you know, basically a straight ahead swing tune, but but I think the the quality that it had in common with everything else is is the interactiveness and and um, like nobody's on autopilot for a second, you know, just there's just the feeling of it's happening right now and and nobody has like control over what's going to happen. They're just showing up and 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 being musical and and also. Um, you know, having enough uh, restraint to sort of just hear the possibilities of of, of what happens if I don't play something here. You know, that so makes space. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I want to just close by asking. I, I think I'm catching you right before the start of a tour of Spain, right? Yes, we're leaving on Friday um, for Spain. I'm really excited about him um, going with uh, my husband Keith and. Um, and Steve Doyle on bass and Otis Brown the third on drums, and uh, we're going to go to, I guess, like five or six different cities in Spain, and it's it's really exciting for me because this one I didn't have to book myself. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you end up touring Spain? It just seems like an interesting interesting um, place to end up. Yeah, you know, uh, an an agent who does different things there. I got in contact with him, and and he heard my stuff, and he said. Yeah, I'll put together a tour for you, and and that that was it. And then I didn't have to do anything else, and I was really excited about that. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Yeah. What else is coming up in the near future for you? Oh well, I'll tell you what. We're uh, I just finished recording an album with uh, a vocal group called Moss. Um, this is a record for Sunnyside, and the the group is uh, Luciana Souza, and it, it was actually her idea. The group, um, and uh, Peter Eldridge, wonderful singer and composer, and uh, Lauren Kinnan. Oh wow! Um, and Theo Blackman. No kidding. Yeah, so the five of us and everybody wrote pieces and arranged them for the five voices or for four voices, and um, uh, yeah, and it's a real, it's very eclectic and has a, just a beautiful vibe. Um, uh, ben Whitman is producing it, and he's on drums and percussion, and Tim Lafave is on bass, and it just sounds amazing. And, and Keith uh, Keith Gans and Ben Monder on guitars. Um, well, that's quite a band. Yeah, I know. So that's going to come out in April, and we're going to do do a little bit of touring around New England and stuff. And um, and I'm actually going in and recording another record myself in December that'll come out in June, um, which is going to be a, yeah, a whole new whole new project. Any uh, any sneak peek we can get into uh, what it's well, going to be like? Well, you know, I'll tell you what. It's got a lot of stuff from the '70s on it. I mean, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. We're doing a, a Bob Dylan tune and and. Uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash tune, and... Um, a lot of Black Sabbath. <laughs> I did something with a Cars tune. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, but it's all, you know, it's got all the same uh, ideas to it, which is just uh, 
improvisation, space for improvisation, space for interaction, and um, that's you know that's what I, and I don't know, and vibe I guess is what's important, <laughs> you know. So uh, I think it'll all hang together, and uh, I'm excited about it. And that's going to be on Palmetto yes, next summer. Yeah, that's on Palmetto. Great. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's been uh, it's been such a pleasure talking to you and listening to your music over the years, and uh, look forward to hearing a lot more of it, and hope you'll come back again. Thanks, Jason. I certainly will. It's a song that's been written many times before, but before I couldn't feel the beat. Didn't hear the tune with my heart A rose was just a prickly little flower The moon wasn't high And children weren't laughing The zoo was not giraffing Nor push carts gently gliding by My own so this song is a new one It's like a freshly painted sign A ribbon-cutting ceremony for a love divine So I'll ask you to forgive this antiquated All the songs are true As well my love for you And I can sing it for the first Very first, very first, very first time That's Kate McGarry from her new album, The Target. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. You can get The Jazz Session for free in iTunes. Please take a minute and subscribe so you're always up to date. You can also listen at thejazzsession.com. In addition to episodes of the show, thejazzsession.com features written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of jazz links. The site also features a link to the Jazz Session Cause of the Month. Actually, it's been the cause of the last few months because I really like it. It's Tipitina's Foundation, helping to restore the musical culture of New Orleans. For more interviews and reviews, you can visit allaboutjazz.com, the world's largest jazz website. You'll find my writing there beside that of many other jazz experts and fans. You can contact the show via email. Send an email to jason at thejazzsession.com or call 585-473-5304. The Jazz Session mailing list is also available at thejazzsession.com. When you join, you'll get periodic updates via email about the guests who appear on the show. The theme music for The Jazz Session is by The Respect Sextet, online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed The Jazz Session logo. Thank you so much for being here. Remember to support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.
you for listening. Bye.